and welcome to Scale Your Sales podcast, listed in 2020 as number eight of 42 best podcasts for every sales professional. I am your host, Janice B. Gordon, the customer growth expert and author of Business Evolution, Creating Growth in a Rapidly Changing World. I created Scale Your Sales Framework to develop leading edge capabilities to secure, retain and grow key customer relationships for long-term value and partnership. Join me each week to learn from amazing B2B sales and business experts and influencers. Tune in for actionable insights and strategies. Are you ready to scale your sales? My next guest is named top 15 business growth expert to watch and the top 41 motivational sales speaker. She is passionate about helping her clients learn the strategies they need to turn uncertainty to competitive advantage. Please welcome to Scale Yourself podcast, Meredith Elliott-Powell. Thank you. I am looking forward to be here. Always love this podcast. (laughs) Well, I love talking to you and I particularly want to talk about your book, Thrive. And I know there's so much in there that is absolutely relevant. And and it was really clever of you, actually, (laughs) writing the book at this time, really. So I'd like to kind of like talk, how did you, um, how did it all come come about? Because we're all in in, in lockdown. I'm thinking like March and we're all in shock for a little while. So where did this all come from? Yeah, I would love to tell you that I was so clever that I saw this pandemic coming, but I didn't. I actually, the, uh, the, the book started for me back in 2018. I became obsessed with the word uncertainty. Every client I was talking to, I would ask the question, how's business? And everybody would answer the same. Oh my gosh, it's good. It's great. We're having our best year on record. But oh, this uncertainty as if uncertainty was this big cloud hanging over our head. And I just started to think, why is uncertainty always a negative? Why is this always a bad thing? And what would actually happen in your business if you flipped the script on it? If you started to think about uncertainty as a positive, where could your business go? And so I started to look for leaders and businesses that had actually done that. And I found nine companies that have been around since the 1700s, early 1900s. They're still in business thriving today. And as I started that research, you know, it took me two years to do it. The pandemic hit. And my first thought was, oh gosh, this isn't good. And then all of a sudden I figured out they had come through the Spanish flu. Like they had already survived a pandemic. And from that, I wrote a nine-step formula of what it takes to thrive no matter the uncertainty, whether it's as small as a new competitor, new government regulations, or something as you know magnified as, as a pandemic. This is the formula you need to use. And it's been tried and tested for hundreds yes. of years with all of these companies. So they did something right. We, we yes. certainly trust these strategies. But how convenient for um, <laughs> uh, for the pandemic just to hit when you had all of this ready to go. So I, I want to know, did you have to change some things in light yeah. that you knew that it was going to come out in the pandemic? Were there, did it move slightly? Um, what a good question. There were a couple of things that happened. Um, number one is one of the companies that I was highlighting that I had researched ac- actually ended up declaring bankruptcy right at the beginning of the pandemic. And my publisher called me and said, oh my gosh, you must be devastated. 
And I said, no, actually, I said, this is working great for me. I said, because I didn't, I never guaranteed that these businesses would be here for another hundred years. And it was clear that this company had declared bankruptcy because they had violated two of the strategies. And one of the foundations of my book was, and I didn't realize it until they declared bankruptcy, that you had to do all nine. Like you couldn't skip one. You couldn't pick three, four, and five and just dismiss, you know, six and seven, that all of them had to be there, that it was a holistic um, approach. The other thing that happened was my own business blew up. You know, I mean, I'm a keynote speaker and before COVID, I got on planes, I traveled around the world, I engaged with thousands of people. So not only did I lose all my revenue, but I couldn't do my business model. I mean, I was back at square one and with nowhere else to turn, I thought, well, let me see if these strategies actually work. And so I drank my own Kool-Aid, so to speak, um, applied them to my own business. And within three months, I completely turned my business around and I closed 2020 with a better year than I'd had in 2019. Wow. So so let's talk about those those nine strategies. Can you just yeah. kind of list them? Because we're all yes. here thinking, wow, what, what are these? <laughs> Besides the fact, the book launches 22nd of June and we're all going to go out and buy it. But entice us with those nine sure. strategies. Absolutely. Now, they're nine strategies. They have to go in order. They have a compounding effect and you can't skip one. So the first one is that you've got to have a relentless vision. And what that means is it's more than just having a vision. A relentless vision means that you're focused on your vision all the time. Like if you came home with me right now, you got up with me in the morning, you would see I look nothing like I look on your podcast. But, um, but, uh, but I read my relentless vision first thing in the morning. I read it again at lunchtime and I read it again before I shut my office down at night. Why? Because as much as you need to be aware of the obstacles, if you're not focused on the vision, then you're going to be pulled into the obstacles and you're going to get stuck there. So you need to be clear about where you personally and where your business is going. And you have to be relentless about that vision, consistent with it. So once you cast the vision and you have this positive point in your mind, see, your mind finds what it's focused on. And the more you're focused on a positive vision, the more your mind is going to find opportunity and solutions. That leads us into strategy number two. And we don't want to be all Pollyanna like you just, you know, have a vision and life is going to work out. It doesn't work out like that. You have to deal with reality. And strategy two is dealing with reality. We call it conditioning yourself for change. See, the change gurus tell us that we have to be ready to react to change. But in an uncertain environment, if you react to change, it's too late. You have to anticipate change. Change can be your greatest opportunity if you see it coming. If you ignore it, it's going to bury you. And we use a tool called a skeptic. And when you buy the book, I give you all the tools, exercises, and worksheets. Um, but a skeptic is just a list of words, society, competition, economics, politics, technology, industry, customers. And every 30 days, all I want you to do is brainstorm around those words. What do you see happening with society, competition, economics, politics? And what happens is you start to condition yourself and your team to look out towards the future and think about the changes that are coming. The more you talk about change, the easier it is to change. Once you understand the challenges that you've got to to face the opportunities that are coming in the marketplace, 
you have to think with strategy number three about rather than competing, you have to start to think about collaborating. So strategy three is the competition becomes collaboration. Because the challenges that we face in today's marketplace and a marketplace that is uncertain, they're too big for one business, one resource, or one individual to solve. It's not that you can't solve them, but time and, and money are of the essence. The faster you solve things, the quicker they're going to be. I have an unbelievable story of a business that really, um, that's been around forever. And it's, it is just remarkable what this young man who came to the United States from Ireland with no money in his pocket, how he built the largest chocolate um, making business that is in existence today, simply through collaboration rather than um, competing. Number um, four is one of my favorites. One of the toughest things to do in an uncertain marketplace is make decisions. Most people get stuck. But the way to make decisions, every company I researched made decisions exactly the same. They made them according to their core values. So strategy number four is to get clear on your core. And then you use your core values like a litmus test. If the decision in front of you aligns with your values, it's the right decision for you. If it doesn't, you need to let it go. So you have no, you have no idea where the marketplace is going. All you can do is to be true to yourself and make decisions according to your core values. Number five is about making money in an uncertain marketplace. And you can definitely make money in an uncertain marketplace. But rather than chasing new business, it's about securing your base focusing on your existing customers. Why? Because business grows from the inside out in an uncertain marketplace. And to grow, you speak so much about this, Shannis. In fact, I quoted you from the stage yesterday. Um, it's about being relevant. You've got to talk to your existing customers. They'll give you the language of the problem they have right now. And the moment you solve that problem, you're relevant what you sold before the crisis, what you sell in the middle of the crisis, what you sell after the crisis. You may sell the same product, but the problem is changing. Number six is build your network. It will change your life. There's no problem, no challenge, no issue you have that somebody you're already connected to hasn't already solved that problem or knows somebody who can help you. Um, number seven is to strengthen your team. There's so little you can control in today's marketplace, but the one thing you can control is the talent you surround yourself with. And we show you in today's marketplace, in an uncertain marketplace, where you can't guarantee people will have a job, you can't guarantee you won't merge, you can't guarantee they'll even get a raise, how you hold on and really engage top talent. Um, number eight, is to shed fast and keep moving. The, there is more happening outside of your business than inside it. So the strategies that you used in March may not work in July, may not work in November. So you need to objectively look at your business every quarter and ask yourself, what's working in the business? What do we need to keep doing? What's weighing us down? What do we need to stop doing? What's preventing us from growing? And needs are, what do we need to be doing that we're not doing that could help us take our business to the next level? And last but not least, you probably guessed it, is to rinse and repeat. This is a fluid strategy. It needs to be done over and over again. Visit your vision. Pay attention to the changes coming in the marketplace. Think constantly about who you can collaborate with. 
Make decisions according to your core. Focus, focus, focus on being relevant. Build your network daily. Strengthen that team. Shed fast and keep moving. Do it over and over again, and you're going to turn uncertainty to competitive advantage. I absolutely love that, and I can't wait to read all of the, the the stories and you know the exercises in there. There's lots of questions that I I, I have. <laughs> <laughs> I remember them all. So one was um, in core values. My book, Business Evolution, I wrote a few years ago, really talked about your core values, and so that very much resonated with me. And I and and I absolutely. Um, agree that your decision making, especially as you have a turnover of leadership, yeah. you know, you'll often find that companies are constantly going in different direction because new leadership comes in and they want to move it in, you know, they need to make their name. Um, really sticking to the core values of the business is the thing that actually keeps you true on your your path. So I I wanted to highlight that and and because that resonates with me. And of course, Retention is my big thing to scale your sales. So, you know, go for that one. But I, I there's two things. Um, my first thing I wanted to ask you is so going back on revisiting your business, did you start at number one and and reestablish what your vision was and then move to number two, three, four, all the way to you know eight, eight and nine? Was that your starting point? Because you had a business model that was very successful. Um, your core values haven't probably haven't changed. So was that the starting point for you? Yeah, you know, it, it really was. I had never been relentless about my vision. I had certainly I had a vision. Um, and speaking of my core values, I'd never use them in every decision-making process. I'd never use them to think about technology I was buying. I'd never use them to think about customers I was acquiring. I'd never use them to as a hiring process in um, in my business. And so when I went back to you know my vision and I looked at it, uh, there was such a there's such a powerful story in the book about a group of kids who go whitewater rafting. And I'll just cut to the chase really fast on it, but. It's the story of they, the rapids got really high and the guide said you can only go on a trip if you sit through a safety talk. Most safety talks are 15, 20 minutes, but this one was three hours because these kids were really going to hit dangerous water. And, um, and she talked about the high water, the down trees and the rocks. But as much time as she spent focused on the obstacles, she spent three times as much focused on the calm water where the raft needed to go. And she explained it like this. She said, when you're in uncertain, troubled waters, you need to be aware of the obstacles, but I need to focus you on the positive point. Because if I focus you on the positive point, you'll be pulled like a magnet there. And when I wrote that story, it really had an impact on me. So I went back and I thought, I have a vision, but quite frankly, I'm not even sure I could quote it. And I'm not really sure it flushes out enough to really say what I really want to do, you know, really like the impact I want to make, the money I want to make, the type of lifestyle I want to have. And when I just put that all on a night note card, I really went back to number one and it became the one thing I did first thing every morning, again at noon and again at the close of the day. And Janice, that right there, I mean, if people didn't take anything else from this podcast, that is powerful because it just shifted my mindset and it made every other strategy so e so much easier. 
you when you were talking I was thinking I've got a, a vision board and I can actually um, see it there and you know all of the things on there still relate but you did make me think I need to go back and reground it so I have you know a, a, a vision that I can quote in the morning the afternoon yeah. I'm taking that one um, <laughs> from you because it's it's good I'm a visual person so I like to look at it but yeah. I actually need a statement I really need the statement I can grab hold of um, so you've you've and I'm sure lots of the listeners are going to do the same. So the other question I, I, I have so much I want to talk to you about <laughs> um, is the company without naming them. You said there was one or two things that they didn't do. What were those one or two things? Oh, I'm I'm so um, I'm so happy to tell you the one or two things. And I'm so happy to um, I'm so happy to tell you the company. It was Brooks Brothers. And, um, and Brooks Brothers um, clothing, it, they just have a remarkable story. I mean, the amount of, you know, presidents in the United States that that they dress um, distinguished leaders around um, the world. And they had just been this company that had been around since, you know, since the 1800s and come through Civil War, Great Depression, World Wars type of things. But the two things they did not um, they did not um, do was number one is that they did not shed fast and um, and keep moving is that um, as as the pandemic really started to hit because they were paying attention to stockholders um, instead of customers, they doubled down on a lot of their brick and mortar um, stores. And the brick and mortar stores, you know, were just starting to evaporate. I contrast that with um, Rent the Runway, which is a company that um, set, uh, does high-end clothing, designer clothing that people can rent. The moment the pandemic hit, they had a very successful store in New York, one in LA, but they saw the writing on the wall and they had all this strategy to expand their brick and mortar across the country. They shut it down immediately and completely changed their business model. Brooks Brothers did not, they dug their heels in. But Janice, you're gonna love this one. The biggest one they violated, the biggest is that they weren't relevant. They didn't listen to their existing customers. In an effort to make stockholders happy, they started to really worry about the bottom line and they went to cheaper clothing um, uh, methods and some of their core brands that had been their staples that were the reason their most loyal customers stayed with them, they discontinued some of those and they lost that base support. They lost that ear of the customer that had been talking to them for years to tell them what they needed to do to remain relevant in the marketplace and they didn't listen. And it was those two things that put them under. Which is typical for a lot of businesses yes. that listen to their shareholders and and completely ignore their customers. And and you can imagine in another scenario um, that if the company had spoken to their customers and said, look, we all know we're in a difficult situation, but we want to be there for you when this pandemic is over. What's your idea? What you can do? There'll be lots of customers that would not want um, Books Brothers to go that would right. have invested that would have done all of these things because of that legacy and heritage and you know their fathers purchase suits from them and everything oh what a waste what a waste yeah, yeah it, it, it really um, it really is a waste but I got to tell you it um, not that Brooks Brothers declared bankruptcy that did not excite me but it excited me because I really didn't want the book to be 
about the fact that these powerhouse companies had survived. I want it to be about the formula and that the formula works for any business, but you can't walk away from a piece of it. It's got to be every piece of the formula. Every piece matters. Yeah. Yeah. And I can definitely see how in and in the order as well, how it's all interrelated, which I absolutely love. So, you know, I think we've given the listeners enough that they're going <laughs> to go out and get this book because they want all of the, the stories and exercises. And, you know, I can't can't wait to go through it. And I will definitely be giving it a review. Thank so you. I have um, I want to ask you about diversity, you know, and I always ask people about this because we want to make sure that we're talking more and more about diversity in in sales. So what is your view? How has it progressed? What more can can we do? What's your thoughts? Yeah, what what a great question. So, you know, you've got to remember that I came up at a time that um, that every sales team I joined. I was the only woman. And at the time I was the only young person. I mean, you know, diversity was just not anything that anybody was thinking about. And, and sales was just not a, a business that a lot of, you know, minorities really went into at the time. I'm not really sure why. So there's a couple of things. Number one is I think we are so much further along than we have ever been. I mean, now as I look, as I consult and I work with sales teams, companies are starting to be mindful that they not only need to be diverse because it's the right thing to do, but they need to be diverse because if you want to sell effectively, you have to look like your customer base. If you don't look like your customer base, you're really going to be in trouble. But I think there's a lot more that we can do. And where the biggest work I think needs to be done is I think that most sales training programs still speak to what we think of as the traditional salesperson. It, it, it's the white male. And I know coming up through, um, through I had a lot of, um, I certainly never had a problem being the only woman on a sales team. Men were very supportive of me. They really wanted me there. But how they sold was different than me. They could, there were rooms in the country club I couldn't get into. As a young single female, I couldn't ask our biggest clients out to drink a beer with me or even to go play a round of golf with me because their wives wouldn't really appreciate it, you know? So I think the training is where the more work needs to be done and to understand that my path to success is just different in the things that I need um, to do and to be okay too in helping identify different target markets. One of the powers of diversifying your sales team is it opens up new target markets for you. And, and so often when I work with businesses, they're still too stale in thinking about that target market rather than really looking at their sales team and saying, if we diversify, who could we appeal to? Who could we attract? And who could we connect to? So I feel like we're doing a good job of saying, who do we need on the team? We have a lot of work to do in saying, now who can we attract as customers? And how do we make sure people have training that really works for them? Yeah, yeah. And and it, it feeds into your, I think it was strategy number seven uh, as well in remaining relevant. Yes. And, uh, innovating. And, and uh, you know, if you're doing that through a diverse workforce and really 
listen it's all very well having them but you've got to listen to them (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah it's um it's you know it's uh i just did a um i just did a course a sales course for linkedin and it was about selling into different cultures and um you know it's diversity just in you know now because diversity is such a hot topic it has really for a company to say wow let's start to look at the different markets we could go after now that we've never thought of before but at the same time you've got to have the right sales team and the right training to go after them i mean if i had a dime which just happened to me yesterday and i think oh my gosh a young kid came up and um i was at a hotel where i was um you know where i was speaking and he came up to me and he said um you know are you ready to check out and i said i said yes he said will your husband be handling the bill now a couple of funny now a couple of funny things about that. My husband was not even with me. I was there working at the hotel. But I thought, my God, he's 30 years old. And he's assuming my husband would pay the bill. Now I kind of laughed that thing off, but a lot of people don't. And if you're if you're so therefore, what does that tell me about the hotel? What does that entice me to want to come back there and stay again? You know, like what it says to me is they don't even think of me as a valid customer. And it is such an innocent comment with so much power behind it. So loaded. So, so loaded. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 And, you know, and he, the guy was 30. Yeah. yeah. And he asked me if my husband would be paying the bill. Well, you know? Meredith, I think you need to go back into leadership and get some work <laughs> Because obviously there's a lot that you can do there. I really think you need to take that as an opportunity. And the yeah. thing is, the fact that you're talking about it, I think that might help them <laughs> to make the decision. <laughs> that's, that's exactly right. That's the, uh, that's the downside of ever doing something um, negative. You know, it happened... Um, uh, my husband and I went in to buy me a new set of golf clubs for mm. my birthday. I'm the golfer in our family. It is not my husband. Yeah. Two stores we went into, and I put this story in the course, two mm. stores we went into, they walked up to my husband. Yeah. You yeah. know, they just assumed. And I, I said, I don't want to buy clubs here. And we walked out. Yeah. Yeah. You know? And it's just, um, it's just it's <laughs> still happening now. And I think the thing is, is that men do not realize because it's yes. not their world how often that happens it's just <laughs> kind of every day that's why if you you know you've got to choose your battles you do laugh off quite a lot of them it's yes. like it's not worth my time but men or you know people that are not ethnic minorities you have no awareness <laughs> right. about how the life is for other people um and that's why this is really a, you know a, important subject Oh, I've got so much to talk to you, but we're gonna have, I'm going to have to get you on again, Meredith. I would love that. Our job is never over. Isn't it? <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. We can have a whole big, um, a whole big conversation, uh, yeah. you know, uh, about this because it's such an important. And I, and what I want companies to understand is it is an important subject. Yes, because it's the right thing to do. But more importantly, you need to understand its bottom line. I was not mad at either one of those men who spoke to my husband. But what it told me is they're going to try to fit me in little ladies clubs. They're going to try to give they're like they're not going to they're not they have no respect for my golf game and level of skill. So they're not qualified to sell me clubs. And that impacts your bottom line. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I. 
you're absolutely right because whenever a company does something I went to uh, this was this weekend and I put it on Twitter Uh and I was trying to pay off my credit card um, on the app and I couldn't do it spent ages so eventually I called them and they said "Um, yes that's why we have a dedicated telephone system to do that it's like why would you want to frustrate your customer and knowingly have an app that doesn't do the job that you would have a whole department you would build in all of that cost and you were happy to because you think you're doing a service to me and you've completely missed the point (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's a it's a it's you know it's it's amazing i mean that's another subject we could talk about is the importance of being easy to do business with yeah 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 do not frustrate your customers Meredith, um, how can listeners get hold of you? Oh, well, they can find me at my website, which is valuespeaker.com, just the words valuespeaker.com. And the social um, media channel I tend to live on is LinkedIn. I am a passionate believer, just like my strategy, build your network, change your life. So if you connect with me, I will definitely connect with you. Brilliant, brilliant. And everyone needs to get hold of the book, 22nd of June thrive turning uncertainty to your competitive advantage and there isn't one person listening to this call that doesn't need that (laughs) so that's right it is for every business every size every industry absolutely thank you for being a guest on scale yourselves podcast meredith it's been a pleasure thank you so much i always love talking with you thank you for joining me on this episode of scale your sales Feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn or Twitter, Janice B. Gordon, to comment and share. I'd love it if you would leave a review on ratethispodcast.com slash scale your sales. Please subscribe for more weekly expert insights to scale your sales.